we are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If this is your first time listening, chance starts how you found us. Welcome below. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, which there are more of you all the time, thank you and welcome back. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Uh, we got another 1,000 event on our hands. So let's get into it, especially if you're one of those clay heads. With us uh, once again is our man in Canada, who I, I can't imagine is in the best mood with uh, the Leafs' current state. Welcome in, John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tibbets Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, betting expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, how you feeling? In Canada, vindicated, vindicated, huh? vindicated. I have been, I have been saying that Mitch Marner should be traded for two years now to use an NBA. Here we, here we go to get out of the niche sport realm and to put this into terms of a big sport. I think the the media has treated this guy Mitch Marner. For those who don't know, he's like one of Toronto's best players. He's very talented, but he disappears in the playoffs. They've treated him like his talent level is like LeBron or Giannis or Jokic or Embiid or Steph Curry right? Like an elite player. When in reality, he's more of a DeMar DeRozan, like solid stats. And when it comes like he just there's, but with De- DeMar, you look at his analytics, he's inefficient here and there. And he's, he's become a solid role, like secondary or tertiary guy, like second or third option, but he's not one of the big, big dogs on a championship winning team. I think Toronto's starting to see that. So I feel vindicated. It sucks. And the other thing too, is before we get to tennis, this team, all they had to do is win one round, one round, and be competitive in a second. That's it. That's all they had to do to, to have the love and adoration to the city. They win the round, and then they completely shit the bed. And one of your best players in Mitch Marner has been the worst forward on the ice for both teams in two of the three games. He's $10.5 million against the cap. It's amazing. This team finds ways to make this fan base despise them. I've never seen anything like it. Never in my life. They have a unique ability to be complete jackasses. End rant. Yeah, Toronto's been so bad. Some forty-one broke up as a result. <laughs> the ripple effects Ajax that boys. the Leafs have called caused. By as the way, Don that... Cherry would say, "Good Ajax boys, there." Eh? <laughs> By the way, that made multiple news outlets. I I googled that after you mentioned that, and like CBS News is covering the some forty-one breakup. Earth-shattering music news, apparently unbelievable. <laughs> oh, if you're a '90s kid from Toronto, you know some forty-one. All right, guys. Well, we're not here to talk about music or hockey. We're here to talk about tennis, specifically betting on tennis. This is a betting podcast. So we like to be transparent with our wins and our losses in a segment we call, what did we win? What did we learn? What did we win? How about the outright with Carlitos Alcaraz as a minus 110 favorite all the way back to our first Madrid episode said Carlitos would win this thing if he wasn't hurt. And he did. So we didn't get cute with that one. Match play in the final versus Struff wins. Uh, set one over eight and a half minus two hundred cash it. Set one over nine and a half plus one twenty five cash it. Over four and a half total breaks at even money cash it. Losses anytime tie break at plus two seventy five loser. And we talked about value on laying five and a half with Alcaraz, uh, but he did not cover for what was that like the fourth time in that tournament? So the whole percentage. Led to a lot of covers with the dogs versus Alcaraz in that one. Challenger plays with the single match. We dipped into the big name challengers that happened last week. The 175s, they created a whole new event with the points for these uh, second weeks of these extended masters. And, you know, when you have guys like Tommy Paul, Andy Murray, 
in the field. That's pretty cool and well attended. And they debuted a new graphic last week uh, and logo with the Challenger Tour. Uh, did not debut a new format for the streaming. Still living in the dark days uh, with the video quality, but uh, wins. Tommy Paul covers three and three and a half versus David Goffin for the boys here. Puccinelli over in the Chilean Challenger. John talked about taking him money line as it was coming down to under minus 200. He wins a challenger title losses andy mary versus myote over 21 and a half goes down despite a nice seven five first set and then the frenchman had two breakpoint chances in the opening game of set two gets creamed ends 19 woof big dom stricker wins outright as a two and a half game dog to a slumping krainovich who we backed on the games line stricker wins the whole damn tournament if dom adds some consistency to his game i think we're going to see him a lot on this tour very soon him you see and... what happened with him? No, what happened? By the way, lost to like a plus 200 dog in his first match in the same venue this week. <laughs> well, he was probably like, yeah. I mean. Clean plate. Like... Clean. He had the clean plate club fatigue after a long week. Exactly. But, you know, encouraging week for him on clay. Encouraging week for Ben Shelton, I thought, last week on clay. So some of these guys uh, who are, you know, profiles like the big serving hard quarters uh, showing a little a little pizzazz on the, the clay surface. And that's it, guys. For that, we can hop right into Rome. How about a little tournament overview for this 1,000 event in Italy? Another two-week 1,000 event for people to bitch and moan about here. Hopefully, there will be no dessert-related controversies this week at the Italian Open. (laughs) I was actually in Rome last July. I planned on checking out this venue, but the taxis were on strike, which was disappointing to say the least uh, i was there with my kids so wasn't in the cards to get to the venue i was i was excited to check it out so a little bummer there did watch yannick center go up two sets on novak at wimbledon at a pub with some italian locals who were very excited before novak inevitably crushed all of our excitement slash dreams on that match jeff recommend rome uh, with your significant other not your children a bit of a hindrance especially if the caps go on strike anyway this event dates all the way back to 1930. Djokovic and Nadal have pretty much dominated this event since 2005. The only time they didn't win was Andy Murray in 2016, became the champ, and Zverev in 2017. Both beat Djokovic, so those guys were still in the final. Nadal's won us 10 times. Novak is the reigning champ, winning his six last year versus Sitsipas 6-0-7-6. Now I'm going to use that 6-0 set one scoreline as a pivot into talking about how this is not Madrid here, folks. The whole percentage is going to be way down compared to last week, the last tournament. We're back at sea level. Tie breaks will happen, but we might be flipping the script on our tie break bets from last time and looking at some unders here. All right, here's a little stat. Through 36 qualifying matches, seven matches at a bagel set, six matches a set with a breadstick. That's 13 of 36 matches, which means 36% of the matches featured a set with one side winning one game or less. I have to caveat the competition, obviously, here. It's qualifying in. But interesting stats so far. John, what do you think about Rome here? I've been loving Rome, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I had one of the worst weeks I've had in a long time. Start May. So I don't know why I'm speaking like a TV show character, but that just happened on its own. Uh, Anywho, (laughs) had a a terrible week to start the month of May. Ended up having a really big Monday. And if it weren't for a few chokes, which, you know, I'm used to by now. I would have had a nice big day today as well. Max Martyrer against a poor mover, piss poor returner in Stefano Napolitano, guy who is like getting wild cards because of connections he had into challenger main draws a couple years ago. Won his way into the qualities draw through the pre-qualities tournament. 
Max Martyrer ends up going up uh, 6 4 3 2 15 40 on return. I think I'm sitting pretty on the minus three and a half in the minus one and a half sets. He chokes it, ends up losing. If it weren't for that, I'd, I'd be up really, really big in the last couple of days. So I'm loving it. Um, it is very slow here. And I think the big thing, the biggest takeaway I've had so far is we talked about this yesterday in our group chat, the Madrid to Rome switch, like extremely different environments and conditions. And yet we see people like Zhang Zhizhen getting a lot of respect for the run they had in Madrid, right? When you contextualize that, or you kind of put it through the, like a, a couple filters of, of context, it doesn't look so great. And we were, you know, you were able to back his opponent here at over plus 200. Now you had to get a little choke, go your way of, you know, go your own way, which I was happy. I was grateful for, uh, but things like that watch for players who did really well in Madrid because it was almost a surface specific or, 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 altitude-based game that helped them progress. <clears throat> Jan Leonard Struff. I don't care what he did in Monte Carlo. And look to fade them at, at decent prices because the market is going to talk. They're going to look at the form. They're going to look at the, the hold break data, which this is the big one. You talk about the hold percentages. Remember, a lot of quantitative handicappers are going to include all of their the last 52 weeks of clay court data in their numbers when they originate. And so are the books. And that's going to include potentially some Gestad or some Kitzbühel numbers and Madrid, that's going to distort data a little bit. It is not relevant here in Rome, right? Where that hold percentage will be lower. So keep in mind, try and apply a few more qualitative uh, filters to your handicap here. I think it'll serve you well at finding some missed price favorites to to kind of oppose. John, does any of your books offer like the tiebreak bet? Like, will there be a tiebreak or tiebreak totals? For like bagels or like scoreless, so like over under sets with yeah yeah yep. So I, I, um, go ahead. I think Bavada does too. They'll have a, set overs, and you can go like under seven and a half, under eight and a half. No, but specifically um, like a bagel bet. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, you, under six and a half. It's just it's just labeled as under six and a half, right? Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Uh, let me check here. Let me check because Bet three six five has the most markets, but like they don't even. Everyone else calls it plus one and a half sets, minus one and a half sets. They have the set betting, like the set scores, and they have another a tab where it's like player to not win in straight sets. I'm like, why can't you just say plus one and a half sets? Like, why you got to be so fancy, man? Like, it's just so <laughs> stupid. Yeah. But the bagel bet would be under six and a half first set total games is essentially the, the same thing. They also have another one where you can do like, unless I, I, uh, I haven't seen it much this year, actually. They have these bands bets where like you can be like the first set score will be six one six love or six two six three yeah. or six four and seven five or seven six so they do have all these different types of bets i haven't seen that last one though yet this year i haven't really looked for it but um that's another way to approach that kind of uh match or the 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 breaks that you're talking about or the lopsided sets yeah i definitely think you're you want to be looking at uh, the extra menu to see how you can take advantage of some of these i mean the set one unders are obviously going to be pretty good uh there's some matches that we'll talk about later on that are just straight up like clay guy versus clay guy that i think the unders look pretty good uh at the price ramos uh versus Pissarro, solid chance one of those guys is probably gonna win six two in the first set. <laughs> i'm not sure which side but <laughs> Anyway, well, let's let's keep it moving with the, the tournament overview, though. Uh, and let's talk some weather because we're going to have some. Okay, it's not great. It's going to rain. It's going to rain mm -hmm. a lot. First day tomorrow, Wednesday, is 100% chance of rain. So, so you're saying the, the first day is going to be Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
if there's a lock, uh, that's it. Then it's expected to rain Saturday through Wednesday of next week. So yikes. Prepare yourself for some pain this week, folks. It's going to be, well, I, I mean, you should be prepared that, you know, your money might get locked up over multiple days. So keep that in mind. For high volume betters like me, you know what I mean? Like, because there are challengers available too. So, you know, <laughs> I'm a high volume guy. I don't want to lock up 15, 20, 25% of my bankroll for several days. And then as the challengers and other places are going on, you know, we're using a smaller bankroll to kind of turn that money over. All right, boys, well, let's talk about the outright market here. We have Novak back in the mix, and he's won this six times. He's probably miraculously better. <laughs> Who knows? He was dealing with some elbow issues. Uh, of course, this is tennis, so I, I tried to look around if there was any update or any article I could find, and I, I could not find one. John, have you heard anything about uh, his recovery process, where he's at with his injury? He was pretty hush-hush about it overall and in general. So I don't, you know, expect there to be a ton about that, but I could actually go real quick into a a burger rant. I mean, if this sport wants to be taken seriously with all the other sports, we need to have like specific injury designations that are declared going in and out of matches and you're getting updates. Like I, I wouldn't even, I would say like something along the lines of like, you know, questionable, probable, doubtful going into their match. And listed specifically what their injury is. I mean, this is ridiculous. Where's the transparency? You already get like people accusing you as like the most fixed sport out there. Anyway, Novak is plus 300. So he's the second favorite on the board. Alcaraz, of course, is plus 140 in the favorite. Yannick Center is plus 800. Holgaruna plus 1200. So 12 to 1. Sitsibas, 14 to 1. Wow, he's, he's behind Runa, huh? Med is 22 to 1. I do not think Med is going to like the conditions here it's very getting a lot of respect this guy should be longer than 25 to 1 he, he could bounce back but like man like why can't we get some longer shots on zvera it's a byproduct of the quarters they're in right steph is is cheaper than runa because he's in carlos's quarter right Zverev is so cheap or so ch- so expensive because he's in that third quarter if you look at that third quarter it is devoid of top level clay court talent so I, it, you know, a lot of it is the byproduct of their path to that final uh, is 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 much easier. By the way, Zvera versus Medvedev in that same quarter again at a Masters. Uh, yeah, and then I'll, I also saw, oh, Rusevori and Umbera playing again. Opening round here. Tennis, I swear to God, like, there'll be guys on tour that never play each other. And then there'll be other guys that have played each other 18 <laughs> times. There's There should also be some rules and regulations for that, I think. Well, there uh, are. The seeds get, get better. Make yourself a seed. Earn it. <laughs> Earn it. <laughs> Fair enough. Casper Rude is 35 to 1 here. Rublev, 40 to 1. Fritz, 50 to 1. Musetti, 50 to 1. Hachanov, 50 to 1. FAA, 50. Hubie, 50. <laughs> and then we're getting in the guys who probably aren't going to do, do it with <laughs> uh, Francisco Serendolo, 65. Cam Nori, also 65. Fokina, 80. Dimitrov, 100. So that's your, your board right now on DraftKings. I should say. With Novak back in the mix, he does have Korda, which I think a healthy Korda could push Novak. But other than that, I guess Runa too, because Runa has beat him. But that was like end of the year, one foot out the door, Novak. And he kind of got lucky was it too. Like, was it one foot out the door though? Like, he 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 won in Tel Aviv late season last year at a 250. I think he was pretty engaged 
in that. I think he's he's remember he's chasing down the title records too. Eh? He's he's getting up there and like chasing guys down for overall titles. So I don't think he's ever going to be disengaged if he plays an event. Yeah, he's got a lot of internal goals that he wants to hit. If he is healthy, no one from this quarter of Rude Center, no one's beating him in the semis. So he's basically got to get to the semis, and then he's into the final. I'm going to take a bit of an opposite approach here. I think Holger Rune is a really tough quarter. And Rune didn't, like, he won Munich before Madrid. And then because he had those, all these guys, like I, we talked about before, were able to to defend their t- little 250 titles and still play uh, Madrid because of that four days off if you're a seed, right? So it made it possible for those guys to go to their 250s, whether it be Rublev in Banja or... He, I don't think he defended his title, but if he lost in the final to Lajovic, if I recall correctly. And then, of course, Runa in Munich. He's had time off now. Like, we we know Runa has, like, a little bit of a sinner issue where he's too talented not to go deep at events. But then when he does go deep, back like, back-to-back-to-back events, he starts to wear physically. That kind of being eliminated in the third round by Davidovich Fokina eases that sort of concern a bit when it comes to Rome. That's a really tough opponent on clay for Novak. He's obviously beaten him in Paris, at that Paris Masters. And then Sinner is a really tough potential semi. And then Alcaraz, that's a brutal, brutal run through quarters, a quarter to final for Novak, who is probably not 100% from what we've seen. Who, you know, we, we saw him with a compression sleeve in Monte Carlo. The last quotes we had from him, or at least uh, that I have from him when I pull up uh, this ticker that kind of tracks player comments and, and injuries and whatnot, was... After losing to Lajevic, he goes, you know, I was well below my desired level. I can't win against opponents who are that solid. Playing like this, I didn't feel good physically. I was slow, sluggish legs, missed a lot of balls. Totally out of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the last match we saw him play. Those were his comments. He admitted he wasn't 100% physically. I know he's had a few weeks now, but is that going to be enough? And he explicitly said a player that's solid like that from the baseline when I don't feel as well physically and I'm missing more balls is going, I'm going to have a tough time beating them. That to me describes Holger Rune and Yannick Sinner perfectly, except those guys actually have weapons to go with their solidity, unlike Lajevich. So I'm not sold on Novak and I, I always cheer for Novak. I, I love seeing him do well. I'm a big fan of his game uh, and I do think he's the greatest of all time. So I root for him to, to rack up titles. So there's no more, you know, no Raf fans or, or fed fans that can deny it. Uh, I said as a fed fan myself, growing up but i I'm, I'm not sold here i'm going to oppose him i'm going to i'm going to take rune on the outright market from the top half uh and we'll talk about the bottom half in a second but i'm probably going to go with the favorite in the bottom half uh and take runa from the top half yeah i like that stance uh when i saw novak on here i'm like dude what condition condition is he in and if he's i don't know even 50 percent healed from where he was at against that lyovich match uh like that runa pick's not bad at all to make the final and that Yannick center from below not bad at all either are you leaning towards either of them center or runa yeah i'd prefer runa i just center i don't know what it is i think the serve a little bit vulnerable i get the baseline weapons are a little bit better but the movement favors runa i just mm-hmm. feel like that's a super even matchup and i'd rather take you know the the thirteen to one or or fourteen to one that's on offer, rather than this the six and a half to seven and a half to one. You know what I mean? It's it's a very we saw it in Monte Carlo, very even matchup in slow conditions. Sinner has 
uh, solidity and big ground strokes. The serve isn't the best. And then Runa doesn't have the big flashy ground strokes, but he has heavy serves that kind of protect it against being attacked. Uh, and of course, the movement and athleticism is just a little bit stronger. So it's a very even matchup. I'd rather go with Runa, even though he has to play Djokovic around earlier. Uh, still think that Novak is susceptible to losing to him. Gotcha. Is Corda still in this thing? Yeah. He's pulled out, right? Not yet. Okay, Corda so. is 150 to 1 to win this thing. Damn, he's long. Now, he did lose last week, and he has been hurt, right? Yeah, he's only played one match since the Australian Open. He lost 7-6, 7-6 to Hugo Grenier on clay. Okay, but let's say he's, like, back, okay? Let's say he's back and playing well. Like, that's <laughs> let's say what... he's definitely not. But I'm saying, let, okay, yeah. let's... Uh, let's if... he, and he's working his way back into form. We've seen him push Nadal on slow hard. We've seen him beat Alcaraz on clay. We've seen him Novak this year, right? 150 to 1 for this tournament. I don't know that I, I, I'm i interested in that market per se, but and the quarter prices aren't up yet, which is very annoying. He's going to play the winner of Giron versus a qualifier. Probably wins that. Mm-hmm. And he's going to play FAA on a slow clay. I mean, FAA may not beat Chris O'Connell in the next round. O'Connell has to play a qualifier. Those qualifiers are out, by the way. It's uh, Alexi Popperin for Chris O'Connell and... Roman Safulin for Marcus Giron, neither of which I think if 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 we're supposing Corda is back, none of those, neither of those guys scares me uh, against Sebastian Corda on clay. I like big, big, big if kind of like Giron versus uh, Safulian there. Mm -hmm. My my point is, I kind of like Corda here. I don't know what the price is, but to to win the whole thing or to win what? Are you talking about the quarter specifically? to, To win the quarter specifically. I don't know what the prices would be. But uh, if we're if I'm gonna join the club here and operate under the Novak fade, that's gonna be my pick. He's plus thirteen thousand to reach the final. Well, I mean, I don't know that he beats Center on clay if Center makes it out of that out of his side of the bracket. But dang, you got to think the rollover would actually be shorter at a certain point. These feel like heavy odds for Corda. Now I'm presuming a lot here because he's obviously played yeah. one match since. As we don't have great injury information ever with tennis. I mean, what if he walks out there and he's fine and he's playing well again? Fuck. He, I mean, he, it's, it's, at some point, he's going to play well again. At these long odds, I would, I'd take a shot. The competition isn't that stiff. Just to get to Novak, Runa would be, you know, his toughest test. And Runa's been pretty up and down this year. He's been like, this is why I'm hot and this is why I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think with just with injuries, you see like a progression of improvement. And with him, it's not like he's... After losing to Hugo Grenier in straights just less than two weeks ago, I, I don't think it's just gonna gonna hit a switch and then all of a sudden he's a hundred percent. So I don't know. I think you'd probably want to back quarter just a little further down the line after you see some improvement. You know, the odds aren't gonna get longer; they're gonna get shorter, uh, and they're huge numbers yeah. on someone who was one of the hottest players to start off this calendar year. Has had even more time off now from his injury. He lost two tiebreak sets to a guy that a pusher type. So it's like those guys can be competitive on the day. Um, That's still a really bad loss, though. Like really still a bad, bad loss. loss. Two tiebreak sets, though. Could have went the other way. Could have been straight set. Win it could have been seven six seven six, and that would have been a bad win, though. <laughs> like <laughs> true. I'm into it. None of these other. I mean, everyone else. I I I can't back ADM. I can't back Dimitrov. I can't back Nori. I can't back FAA. I can't back Kashmanovich. And that is, my friend, is why Holger Runa, if Novak Djokovic isn't that healthy at an under 10% win probability, is a sweet deal. There you go. Well, let's talk about the wide open quarter, which is the 
the Medvedev Rublev debacle here. I mean, this is wide open. Holy crap. And now you see why Zverev is only 25 to (laughs) 1. Yeah. The seeds are Med, Zapata, Morales, QB, Taylor Fritz, RBA, Fokina. I mean, that is a who's who of untrustworthy players during this clay season. Now, I mean, Fritz has had, I think, a pretty good clay season for him so far. Obviously, he probably would have liked uh, to have uh, a title maybe in Munich or uh, gotten to the the final in Barcelona where he well, be Madrid. He had a good chance and he blew it against Zhang Zizhen from like way, way, way up, like minus 5,000 odds live, mm-hmm. probably steeper. It's like minus 10,000 to be honest. When you're up a set four, three forty love on serve with his serve and altitude, he was probably minus 10,000 in that match live. Like Even though he blew that, he's still the most headstrong guys of all those people you just said too in that quarter. And Monte Carlo, he was pretty deep. Sorry. Right. Yeah, he lost, lost to Rublev. Monte Carlo, yeah, because he beat Steph in that crazy yeah. scoreline. Uh, Medvedev, I just I can't take that seriously here. There's actually going to be a pretty good chance to to fade him. You know, you know what makes this quarter a real dumpster fire, though. It's not just the seeds. When you have seeds this vulnerable, like if you go through it, Rublev. Okay, Rublev's not that vulnerable and beats guys he should. Davidovich Fokina is just so like great, like so polarized. Uh, with his results. RBA's in terrible form. Fritz into slow clay outside of Monte Carlo hasn't shown us much. Hercatch not on his favorite surface. Terrible returner. Not in great form this year. Zverev is either, again, pushing Medvedev and winning a bunch of matches and then choking choking to Medvedev, or he's losing 6-love, six 6-1 six to, like, Tara Daniel. And, like, Zapatomidayes is, is a solid player, but very low ceiling. So this is where you're like, okay, let me look at the non-seeds and find a long shot I like. That's where you really realize how much of a dumpster fire this quarter is. Because find me a non-seed that you're like, I'm excited to back this guy to win the quarter. Well, like I Stefano mean, Napolitano? <laughs> I mean, Vito <laughs> Pea? Jari would be Cressy? Jari yeah. would be someone who would, you know, he's got a yeah. little bit of clay pedigree, can actually probably hold, has a serve to probably hold a little bit better than a lot of these guys. Can probably maybe gut out at like a tiebreak win against Fritz. Then he's got to play like RBA. I mean, he could beat RBA, but then again, like he's pretty untrustworthy. You know, he's he had that golden swing pop, and then he's been pretty uneven here on the regular clay swing. Now Alcaraz is at one plus one forty. Obviously, if he gets pretty deep into this thing, the plus one forty does become value at some point because you're going to have hedge spots throughout because he's going to be a massive favorite, especially if he's in the semifinals against. I mean, even Sitsipas, he'd be a pretty heavy favorite. So you will have Especially stuff with to... a head-to-head, a head-to-head win in Barcelona, right? That's going to weigh into that price as well. I mean, I think it does make sense to have Djokovic and Alcaraz both in pocket outright to do something with later on. You don't Mass- really have room to do anything. You don't have room there to do anything, though. Like at best, you're you're now profiting four tenths of a unit. Where's your room to hedge anything in there? Like, I. I unless you're like no, I I don't think that I think you got to take one or the other, and I don't think Djokovic is any value at plus three hundred, or sorry, no, not plus one thirty, plus one plus three hundred. Never mind, scrap that. Alcaraz is minus one ninety to not win. Do you think that's accurate, or do you think they're that's telling a story? Well, he's he's plus one thirty to win or mm. plus one forty to win, so it's that's probably about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like fatigue isn't baked into that price or what? That's the thing about this, though. There's no one that is set up to benefit more by these extended tournaments than him because he plays that physical style. 
And it's really tough to win Madrid and Rome when they're one week competitions and you got to win all those matches and you're playing against the highest level guys at the Masters. That's not the case anymore, though. There's a day between matches mm-hmm. baked in and you get four days off minimum to start the week, right? Because it's two days of qualifying, two days of first round, and you have a bye. He wins Madrid, gets at least four days off, and then even after his first match, he gets a day off again. So he'll only play one match in a week after winning Madrid. There is so much time to refill the energy tank that someone like Rafa never had. Now, Rafa struggled in Madrid because of the altitude and then beat the crap out of everyone in Rome. But if Rafa had have had you know, four days off at the start of each of these events uh-huh. and days off in between his matches... Like he, there's a case to be made that he would have a lot more Masters 1000 titles just in this month or two week span that is now a month long span. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I was looking at that number, like the minus 190 not to win this whole thing. So I'm like, who the heck is he supposed to lose to? Like Sitsipas, who he's never lost to, or it just loses in the final to whoever makes it out on the top. But now I'm just thinking, I was like, huh, should I definitely not take Sitsipas? And I don't know. Seems like well, make it to the final, or I mean, the winner outright of 140 seems like a pretty good deal just because fatigue seems like it's baked into that price. And if you think that fatigue's not a factor, then oh, it's, it's not a bad look. All right. Well, if you're making me pick, I'm going to pick Alcaraz because I mean, th- this let's say let's call it Alcaraz neutral. So just himself and not hurt or tired or fatigued, and we're getting the full Alcaraz. I mean, there's literally no one that can beat him. <laughs> like Laheshka, Dan Evans, Chorich, that gets him into the that's, quarters. That's the other part of it is or into uh, that quarters rather. His, yeah, his his draw, his quarter is Sitsi Pass and no one else, mm-hmm. and then his half is Sitsi Pass, and then the weakest quarter in the the field. Like Sitsi Pass is the only one in the entire half of his draw that slows him down from getting to the final. Nishioka uh, is the seed in his part of the draw. Exactly. I mean, it's who is stop who is stopping him down here? And again, like, had this been a Buenos Aires Rio situation, maybe you don't want that. But even that was the final where he finally broke down physically in back to back weeks. It wasn't until the final where you had that hedge opportunity with Cam Nori, and you had a hedge opportunity, I believe, live as well. Here, you'll still have that hedge opportunity. He's a favorite against anyone in this draw in the final. So I'd I'd rather have that ticket personally at plus one forty. I do have that ticket at plus one forty. Uh, than anything else. And it's funny because I hate, I I generally hate favorites in these events. Like I'll go for a a third or fourth favorite, or I'll take favorites in their quarters. If I think that they have a great chance to win their quarter and like the market's not giving them enough credit, but I generally don't like to take favorites in, in the outright market on clay. And then this week I looked at the numbers and I've got like big bets on both Iga and Carlos, (laughs) because I just think that it's like Carlos is 40% just under 40% to win this tournament. Or sorry, just over 40% uh, break-even probability to win this tournament. If you had told me that pre-draw, I still think it might be a bit low. You show me this draw, and there's just no chance that he is not, like, he doesn't win this 40% of the time in the, in, in the grand scheme of things. I'm sorry, it's just, it's it's too easy of a draw to the final for him. Um, plus, since he passed, did not look good in Madrid. He lost a set to Baez. He lost a set to someone else. Oh my gosh. I, I blanked on this last time too. I said, or in our chat, I said it was Zapata. It wasn't Zapata. It was someone else. It was Baez and uh, whoever. Then he lost outright to Stroop when he dominated the match. I get that his backhand isn't rushed here as much, but Alcrez handled him in Barcelona. If you want to talk head to head, it's relevant. It's probably the most relevant you'll ever get. It was just a matter of weeks ago. It was on similar, it was on red clay, not at altitude. 
that's as applicable as a head-to-head match as you're going to get to use in your handicap. And he, oh, like, it was, what, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, or 6'4", six, 6'3", six, but it wasn't, yeah. like, th- there was no threat from City. But you never thought, man, City pass, he better put him away because City's looking really dangerous. He's going to come back. It was just, you knew Alcaraz was winning that match. Yeah, for sure. Sitsi Potts is not going to elevate his game against Alcaraz. No way. That's just not in his blood type. You know, with we mentioned these last time with these uh, finalist exactas. And, man, you know, obviously we didn't predict Struff. I don't think anyone really predicts Struff to be there. But Alcaraz was in there so easy. So, and again, we, we, we've just talked about how if we get the full Alcaraz, he's going to be there again. So, if you know or you have a pretty good assumption that one leg that Alcaraz is going to be in the final, right? So then that makes the exacta a lot easier. And if you like your boy Runa, Runa Alcaraz exacta final is 12 to one. I think that's an interesting market here and a decent way to attack Alcaraz. If we're operating under the assumption that he's going to be in all these finals, then you're just like, if you're building a portfolio of bets here on the outright market, Put a few sprinkles on, you know, the Novak Alcaraz one is only plus 380, so it's, like, not that great. But some of these deeper shots are kind of interesting. The Runa Alcaraz one is, is definitely interesting. That's what I'm – That's well, I, I don't like the exactas as much because I just find – I think if you, you run the numbers on, like, the hold percentages there, it's just – it's really tough to beat those markets. Um, and then you, then, you could, then you have to get into figuring out the combined rolling money line parlays each – each round and Runa could have to go through Djokovic Sinner and then Alcaraz. So like, I think you're probably better off um, attacking that different ways than, than taking that exact a bet. But I'm, I'm going to have it, put it this way. I'm going to have each of their outrights uh, in, in Alcaraz at plus 140. At, at, I got that at Unibet. And then I also got a, a plus 1300 on Runa at Unibet. So I do like, I, I like that thought process of those two, both showing some value to to meet in the finals. I'll have their individual outright tickets, but I think those those exactors are like a parlay, but they're like because they're a, a derivative market three sometimes can be even a higher hold. And it's just some like it's really tough to beat those. I feel you, but and, and you know there probably are some hardcore grinders out there doing the money line <laughs> parlay rollover or the money line rollover. Uh, but for the most part, the casual better. I mean, locking in these exactors and not worrying about it until the end instead of having to go back to your book every time to to make a bet it's uh that's the one i would play then yeah all right guys have we set it on the outrights for now we don't have the quarter prices which is very annoying let's talk some bets some round one bets guys i'll kick it off with with mine that i love the pricing on and it's not till thursday it's uh nuno borges plus four and a half and money line plus 220 versus dusan lajevich Knowing what we know about these courts and their low hole percentage, or what we think will be lower hole percentages, Nuno is going to get break points throughout this match. I'm guessing he's going to break Lyo at least twice. Now, the big question is, will he hold serve himself? Okay, that's going to be the challenge. I don't know. I can't answer that. But at these odds, knowing I'm going to get some breaks here from Borges, I will take a shot on the four. I'll take a shot on the money line at plus 220. I think that's really long for a guy who's trending up as a clay player on this tour. I think Lajovic is a little bit overvalued off his hot run. I know he's in form, quote unquote, but he's a very, you know, up and down player. He's not like a world beater. He's old. I like uh, getting all these games and a shot at the money line here. This just shows you how crazy it was to get Lajovic in Madrid at like minus 150 coming off a title against McCubler. 
like really or like my, what was it minus 145 minus 150 i couldn't believe it think about that in madrid first round he was minus 150 against kubler and now he's like minus 300 <laughs> against nuno borges <laughs> i mean nuno's been pretty bad lately and that's why this price point is where it is but we're we, we're really gonna sit here and think that like mccubler on clay is just that much better than a nuno borges no, it's because there's a major overreaction to Lajevic being, what, 7-1 and one in his last eight matches. That is an overreaction. I, I, I would agree there's there's been an overreaction to the point that Borges is showing some value. It's a hold-your-nose bet, though. Borges has been awful, uh, primarily because of exactly what you mentioned. He just is so underpowered that as much as Clay rewards consistency, you still have to find ways to hold your own service games. And he is... Jerome in Madrid is somewhat excusable because it's quicker conditions that plays more to Jerome than him. Um, if they replayed that match here, I suspect that he wouldn't lose by five games, six, two, seven, six. I suspect he'd probably take a set or, or even win outright. The Mayo match in Aon Provence, it's like, okay, Mayo is, is an up and comer. I get it, but that he was like a minus 350 kind of uh, favorite there, straight sets. He just hasn't been good. Right, like he's got to win over Ivashka on clay, which, as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, I don't value at all because Ivashka sucks on clay in my mind, and we'll get to that in a second because Stan Vavrinka is going to kick his ass. But like that—that's why this price point is where it is. And I—I—I—I'm I, with you. I am. I, I think that this is probably an overreaction, and there there's reason to attack the Borges money line and, and games, or I prefer sets. I don't know if I'll do it though. I think I've got a high enough volume card where I'm like, I do not need to add this out of form pusher um, and stress out, you know, oh, yes, I'm up a break. Damn it. It's gone. I'm up a break again. This has like, he's going to break three times in each set and win neither of them written all over it. It's 2-1. Damn it. It's 3-2. Damn it. It's 4-3. Loses at 4-6. Rinse and repeat in a second. You know? no, but maybe four and a half catches. No, but maybe you're right about the uh, the plus one and a half sets at minus one twenty. Oh man, he can get a set off this guy. I like that even more than the. You know, not, not even more. I'm gonna add it, man. I'm gonna be all over this match. I just think the pricing is like he can win it. I mean, minus one twenty is basically like almost a pick to for him just to win a set. He could fucking win a set. Huh. All right, my other one is another hold your nose bet. This should have been like the hold hold your nose segment. Uh, kicking it off here, but Fabio Fonini and Andy Murray are going to play here in Rome. I like the over 22 and a half, over two and a half sets at plus 145. Murray's off a big week where he won that challenger in France. Fonini playing for the home country. Uh, they have it booked at a heavy minus 155 for Fonini to win a set here. I think the juice is worth, worth the squeeze. I don't think Fonini wins knowing how annoyingly relentless Murray is. Uh, but I think we're going to get a pretty big effort from Fonini in this match, and I, I think that uh, the over is very much in play, especially with it ticked up a little bit. I mean, usually two and a half sets for uh, a neutral game script is like plus 130, and you're getting it plus 145, so I like that a lot. Yeah, this is the only bet that I had on my sheet here. I do like this a lot. I, I'm i going to play the over 22 games, though, at minus 110. And then, like, yeah, Murray's come off of what a win a tournament win at the challenger level Fonini what scares me though is that he's been out with a foot injury so I don't really know exactly the state that he's in but I mean it's a first round match so he should be as fresh as possible and he's gonna have the entire Rome army on his back as well and also on top of that it's just Andy Murray just 
likes to play long matches. I mean, he, he doesn't like closing early. He eventually does. I, I think Fonini is going to lose this match in the end, but uh, like Dave said, um, I think he's just going to put up a good fight here. So I'm sticking with the over 22 games here. Fonini got a set off center here at this tournament last year, which I, I mean, I don't know that Fonini was like in any better form last year than he is this year. I mean, he's a, uh, a year older. Uh, which doesn't help, but uh, Andy Murray not exactly uh, Yannick Center either. So it's it's more about the foot for me um, than form or anything else. Because look, we know he's an emotional player, and he has talked about the Rio crowds spurring him on to success. There, we know that crowds behind him will help him. The Italian crowds are like the French crowds; they are boisterous, and we've seen it in qualifying. Like the qualifying matches, they were rowdy. So that'll help him. We know he feeds off that. He's explicitly stated that many times. The issue is the last time we saw him, he was in a walking boot. So I'd like to back Fonini. You're talking to the number one Andy Murray fader in the betting streets. Trust me, I want to I want to bet Fonini. What I'm going to do, though, I'm going to wait to see how he looks for the first two to three games of the match. If As long as he doesn't break Murray in the first game, uh, Murray service game, pardon me, then I can probably jump in live uh, on on any of these bets at near the same numbers, right? Other than maybe the over, but I'm not looking at an over. I'm looking at the, the Fonini money line at plus 200. I want to see if that foot looks okay. If the movement's fine, then I'll probably jump in. If he looks hobbled, I can I can stay away. But I think this is one where I'd rather see. I'll, I'll even, if it, if it cost me 20 cents and I got it down to plus 180, that's fine. The, the It's not a, a gigantic shift in percentages and it's well worth, the 20 cents to 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 see how he looks because that that is so impactful on my true price that I think I'm I'll, I'd wait for it live and then uh, and then attack it that way. Good old eye test, you know. That's not what the NHL does these days. They just go off of straight analytics and you can see those GM moves. I know there. what you're doing here. I know <laughs> what you're doing here. I'm not biting. Yeah. Am I poking the bear here or what? <laughs> Great coursey though, man. I'm looking up uh Timeline of Fabio's injury here. Yeah, he pulled out of Madrid because of that. And then it was an Easter ill is when he got the injury. Yeah, and Monte Carlo. I think he was slated to play Monte Carlo too, where he's obviously made deep runs before. I think he did he win it or did he lose it to Lajevic? I think he was like even laboring like back even in Miami too. He posted uh, a photo eight hours ago where he's on the court playing. So. I don't know what that means. Uh, this foot thing is a good point that I has now got me scared. I mean, he is literally like, I mean, in, in a post about how he's not on crut- crutches anymore. But that was April 16th. But Andy Murray is like, he just had so much court time. I mean, hours upon hours of court time last week. He doesn't really necessarily take advantage of things like this, too. Even if he, if Fabio's injured, um, like I said, he'll probably win this match as an Andy Murray will, but like I was also saying, he usually doesn't take advantage of these injuries. He knows that he can win and then he just figures it out later. And then he, in the meantime, like in the first couple sets, just gets really angry at himself knowing that he should have closed a match out by then. But I don't know. He loves taking the long road. All right. Maybe go small on these bets. I still like Fabio to game up for the home crowd. John, what's on your card? Stan Wawrinka. Uh, this will be first on on Tuesday morning. So if it wins and people tail, it'll be the early listeners that get the worm, I suppose. 
because yeah, it's from the time of recording, it's it's not too much, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But look, would it be the most standard Rika thing in the world to cost me my only max bet of the season by beating Mimir Kichmanovich on a hard court? Um, and then losing to Ilya Ivashka on a clay court as a minus 150 favorite? Of course it would. Will he probably do it? Of course he probably will. But Jesus Christ, on a really on a clay court, Stan Wawrinka, the RPM he can generate, the spin he can hit with, the heavy ball, the power, the the pedigree on this surface that, frankly, this it's night and day, and he's minus 150. I, I know he's older. I, I'm well aware of that. That maybe moves this from like minus 300 to minus 250 or minus 200. It doesn't bring this down to minus 150. Um, you know, beats Cressy in a tough one in Madrid against a tough style. Really had Van Ash close to dead to rights in Banja Luka and then and then blew that one. But he's lost to Fritz Van Ash, who's one of the best up and coming challenger tour clay quarters out there, and Rublev so far during the clay court season. Fritz, Rublev, or even Van Ash, Ivashka is not. Um, yeah, give me, give me, uh, Vavrinka, give me Vavrinka minus. However many games I can sell, give me Vavrinka two nothing. I'll be on Vavrinka heavy um, on on Tuesday morning. Keep in mind, weather is going to be an issue too, so maybe this gets pushed back, right? Maybe this match ends up getting um, pushed and and people can tail. But uh, that's pretty. It, it it doesn't go further than that, right? Like heavier ball, bigger, better clay court pedigree. It's as simple as Wawrinka should be minus 200 in my books here. And that, that's a huge edge for me. And I'm probably wrong about my number um, because the market's just never that far off. But he lost a close one to, to Andre Rublev. He's got, again, just the way better game. I don't, I, I can't really elaborate into a longer handicap. Also at five, Marton Fukshevix against, uh, I almost, <laughs> against Phil Krajinovic. I, I won't use the nickname I tend to use. Minus 125 here. Look, I'm not a big Fukshevix fan on clay, but the physical edge he has, like the advantage in the physicality department that Fukshevix has over Krajinovic, you would struggle to find a greater, like, discrepancy on tour. It's close to the biggest one. Like, Alcaraz, Djokovic, sure. But, like, Fuchsvix's game is grinding from the baseline, like, being a freaking apparently, bodybuilder that plays tennis. And Fat Phil... Oh, I did it. There it is. Fat Phil is not close to those things. Um, we saw him run out of steam against Dom Stricker at the challenger level. Yeah, give me uh, Fuchsvix here, a minus 125 to, uh, to pull that one off as well. Um, there's a bunch of stuff I like too. Like, do you want me to just keep rolling through them? Yeah, roll. Okay. Uh, Kachin continues to climb against Garin in an all South American clash. I liked I liked it a bit at plus one twenty seven when I saw it there earlier. This has climbed to nearing plus one fifty now. I am still, as we've talked about in most episodes at the beginning of tournaments, I am so thoroughly unimpressed by Garin's collection of wins. Right? Like, think about it. He This guy has won, like, 21 matches this year. And outside of Casper Ruud and Indian Wells, who, by the way, has been pretty bad in his own right this year. So, like, that win dev- gets devalued in my books with every passing week. Where is the great win? Where is the, the Where are the signature wins? Kechmanovic, 7-6-6-7-6-4. Like, Huesler, who robbed me an over 21.5 from a tiebreak first set. That absolute you-know-what. Sonego, Marco Topo. 
two tie breaks against Zizou Bergs. Like, where is it? I, I, he's so overvalued. And Kachin, yeah. Kachin doesn't have a ton of power, but he's got clay court prowess, point construction, and a solid enough backhand. Garin has the same lack of raw power, the same kind of profile. These guys are very similar. And Garin, to me, is just above a challenger tour level player, low-end ATP tour. And Kachin's a high-end challenger tour guy. I don't think there's there's this much between them to the point where it's a 60-40 uh, split. I think it's much closer to like 53 47. Uh, and you've got enough of an edge there to play Pedro Kachin on the money line uh, in my books. Wu and Gasquet. I have this, put it this way my number here might be wrong. Probably is. I have it at minus 400. It's like minus, I, I two, not even too. minus 250. Uh, it's minus 225. What on earth has Wu Yabing done? to inspire this kind of confidence to make him, you know, a two to uh, a two to one dog as opposed to a three or four to one dog. I don't understand this. He hasn't been physically, he hasn't looked good physically since Miami. He's won more than two games in a set on clay once this year out of his four sets played. He did generate a lot of break points against Molchan, but that was at altitude where his serve plays a little better. His flat, big ground strokes play a little bit better. Totally different conditions here. Gasquet plays with one of the heaviest topspin styles we've seen. Like, the RPM are up there with Rafa Nadal on his ground strokes. His point construction and angles are incredible. And he moves he moves his, his opponents around tremendously well. And when you can't slide or it's not natural to you, his the RPM on his shots that make that make them that render them unattackable. Combined with the fact that he moves around the court, you need to slide to be able to defend against him. That's a tough combination for a guy who does not like clay, who has not looked physically fit. He's going to be running a lot. He's going to have to slide, which he's not comfortable doing. It's just a veteran clay quarter here against a brand new clay quarter who's looked terrible in each of his last three matches. Two on clay, one in Miami against Schwartzman. Like he lost to Igor Schwartzman this year. Need I say more? It's it's one of those things where I have this as a five to five and a half game spread because like we talked about, you are going to see lopsided uh, set scores here more than in Madrid. So these favorites that are minus four seems like a big number in the ATP tour. This is not Wimbledon. This is not the Australian Open. We are we are in some of the slowest conditions out there. This is the one place you, you can actually cover these four game spreads. That is a plus money minus four as well. So uh, Gasquet, I'm going to write this up for betting expert. So if you want this in written form, um, you'll be able to find it there tomorrow. But that that's a that's a big bet for me. Like Gasquet, again, like Vavrinka, I'm going to have in multiple capacities, probably an under, probably a two nothing, probably uh, minus four. And then if I can sell the minus five, I'll do that as well. Um, Fields in Serundolo is just one to watch. If we're being honest, like that is going to be a lot of fun. Two, two qualifiers, two young guys, different styles. One is more clay, natural on clay. The other has progressed incredibly well this year on clay. Uh, feels, of course, big bombs with his uh, serve and forehand. Sedundolo, all about point construction uh, and spin. So that should be a fun one. And then there's a lot of price-dependent things, like Kokonakis' rematch with Munar. That should be a lot of fun. <laughs> and finally for... Um, sorry, I keep saying Tuesday. It's going to be Wednesday matches. I keep, I'm a day behind in my head. But uh, the other match on Wednesday I really like is Gregoire Barrera against Brandon Nakashima. This has come down from plus 135 to plus 120. I don't mind it there. 
Brandon has played one match on clay this year. I I thought he hasn't played since Miami, but he's just so much. He, he's four or five games better than Mayo, even on clay where his flat side doesn't play as well. He lost that outright. He's played one match since Miami, and it was a loss at a challenger to an up-and-comer who just isn't that good. And, you know, Barrera is one of the guys that I've dumped on the last couple of years for his, his clay court prowess, but he's, he's improved in the last few years, right? Like still under 500, but he beat Hamad Medjedovic. That's not a, that's not an easy, easy player to beat losses to Lajevic, Dimitrov and Fields in a third set tie break. And he was six points from winning that match in straight sets. He should not be the dog to a Nakashima who isn't a great clay quarter plays a really flat style and has only played one match and lost it since Miami in 2023. Uh, you can't have him as the dog there. So that that's the other match I would say for Wednesday. Um, as for Thursday stuff, Arnaldi over Schwartzman, self-explanatory. Anyone who is talented um, or in the top hundred or whatever, I, you have to, ha- if, if a spread is under four games, you got to play it at this point with the, the struggle Schwartzman's had from the baseline with power and his serve. Hali laying the games against Wolf on mud, in mud slow conditions is beautiful. Umber, um, you know, that was 7-6, 7-6 against Rusevori in altitude. Neither of these guys benefits from coming down to sea level, but, you know, plus 150 with him coming off five wins last week in Cagliari, including one against Lazlo Jere. He can't, he's gotten used to the slower conditions in, li- like, actual matches. Rusevori hasn't. How that price hasn't hasn't tightened a bit from their last match, I don't know. I I don't think this is a 60-40 proposition, and Umber should be uh, getting more respect here. So I'd look towards that as well. Yeah, the Hollis line uh, at two and a half. I mean, J.J. Wolf has shown nothing on clay. I mean, he has zero clay prowess whatsoever. Hollis has shown a little bit of life on the surface, like in recent you know times, recent events. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I like Hallie's there. Uh, the only thing I would say about, uh, Brandon Nakashima is, uh, he's a better player than, uh, Barrera. Uh, and if he's fit and healthy, um, he could easily win. So I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like Nakashima is going to win that one, to be honest. How, how has he looked this year? Where, like what has inspired any confidence yeah. in Nakashima being anywhere near good? Yeah, but I mean, you know, this, I, how was John Leonard Struff in a um, 1,000 Masters final? I mean, well, I mean, young Leonard change had, on the had day. wins this year. Like, he had wins this year, though. And he was in, like, he's an all-quarter, and he was in altitude, which helped him. Like, these conditions are the opposite of what Nakashima wants. Like, Struff made the second round of Miami, the semifinals at the Phoenix Challenger, the second round at Indian Wells as a qualifier, and the quarterfinals in Monte Carlo as a qualifier. Nakashima has not won more than one match at an event all year. Like there's a significant difference between Struff entering Madrid and Nakashima just being absolute trash all year, really. Um, yeah, I'm looking at his match history. I am very surprised that he's been this bad. It just—I don't know how you can have this guy as a favorite on a surface that he doesn't like, with a style that just doesn't suit it. I, he might win, but should he be? Favored to win 55% of the time is the question. And to me, that's a no. Like, it's undoubtedly a no. What about Chris O'Connell has had one of the better clay seasons of the entire tour, and he's at even money against Poprin, who's, I mean, just been kind of Alexi Poprin on clay. Hasn't really, like, done anything that amazing. I'm I'm back in the O'Connell train here at even money. 
I was hoping I said I was I had him a slight favorite in the minus 125 area. So if I can get up even money, I'm probably going to be taking that. Mm-hmm. Pinnacle might come out before I end up recording and end up getting all my work done um, and uh, and knocking that down to the like a, a minus 110 where it wouldn't be bettable for me. But I think I might just go lock that in at bet 365 as we record here. <laughs> you guys like the Varias Baez over by chance? I'm kind of yes. liking that one. The 21 and a half. Uh, Varias hasn't been playing too well, but I mean, I mean, he, he played well earlier on the clay season, like the one that's right after the sunshine swing, sunshine double. Um, yeah, was like I was actually Rio looking at something? no, yeah, go ahead. uh, uh Baez 2 1 to win, uh, was pretty good odds. Yeah, I'm kind of liking that over yeah. in that one. I like the over just because I mean. Generally, when I find an underdog undervalued, I think the over is a, a a pretty not safe. I mean, but like it's usually correlated to to being uh, me finding value in it. And Baez is a strong player. I think I don't think he gets enough credit for the aggression he can he he plays with on his forehand. But he's just there's a, a low ceiling, and when he plays a talented player that's comfortable on a surface, he can be overmatched for a set. And Varias has that heavy, powerful forehand. And it's not going to be rushed because Baez doesn't do a whole lot to rush his opponents. I, I just, I, I think that there's some value in that over for sure. And maybe a little bit of value in a, in a plus 200 Varias money line bet. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, for one, I know you're a Baez fan, but I feel like he's a little overrated in my book. I know he's like a play player and whatnot. But yeah, Varias had a a good run earlier uh he did but i will say i mean Baez is in a, another Argent- class argentina than, yeah Baez is in another class than him and these are perfect clay conditions for Baez, so he should trend up this week actually they did play each other very recently um it went seven five and then the second set went to a tie break and so Baez did win in straights but yeah well, the over did yeah hit, but that still. one I was on Baez in that one. That was frustrating as hell because I think he covered. I think I, I had a two and a half and got CLV there or had nice. a two nothing bet. But he was up five one in that second set. Was Baez. he really? <laughs> I believe so. Or five two. If I I'm not gonna go pull up on flash score right now, but I'm almost certain I was I was at a steak dinner. I put my <laughs> phone away and then I'm leaving. I get in my car and I check the score before um I start driving away and it's seven five five one i believe i get home i look and it's like they're in a tie break i'm like what the hell happened here <laughs> like that was in rio yeah and you you have a good memory about that you remember what cut of steak that was too no uh, what about uh ramos pasero i mentioned this uh, a long time ago they have the under can you hear that banging Faintly. Uh, they have the over under nine and a half. Uh, the under is at minus one ten. Uh, I think that is a a fabulous first set bet. Um, that someone wins six three or six two in that match. Uh, I, I think. Uh, ooh, I mean, the, the, like there, there's going to be like I, that's another one that's like John. You run those breaks props for um, uh the Alcaraz truth match. Like there's going to be four, there's going to be at least five breaks in this match. <laughs> Probably no one's going to hold serve. 
I don't know if they're. I don't really have breaks pop on Bovada and Bet Online. Do you have any break props on that one? Not yet. I, I think I will by the time the match goes because it's a, a Thursday match. So um, I think Bet365 is getting up those derivatives and like the full menu up for Wednesday. And then they'll do that the rest of the menu. Like they've got the main bets up, but I think they'll get the rest of the menu up um, on those Thursday matches later tonight or, or tomorrow in the morning British time. Right. So I love that angle, actually. Because like you like Ramos and Yolis, especially with Pissarro, like Ramos, you know the style he's going to play. You know he's terribly out of form. Pissarro is so hit or miss. Like if his forehand isn't working, he does not know how to adjust. And Ramos can easily just wait out the errors, point after point, and win a set six one here. Pissarro could click, feel the crowd behind him, and just overrun a powerless and terribly out of form Ramos Vignola six two two as well. And by the way, do your price shopping here because there's a minus 120 at Bet365 and Unibet has a minus 103. That's a considerable difference. Like, if your bet loses, you save $17 by placing it with Unibet if you're doing the American model of to win 100 or whatever. You're saving $17 by just by price shopping there. So I I actually really like that angle considering, one, Ramos Vignolas, and we we know what we're getting from him and to Passaro and understanding his style. I do think that actually works decently well. Last one I want to talk about is Alexander Muller, which is a name you probably didn't expect me to say, but he's a four and a half game favorite against Kyle Edmund. Edmund has been out of form. I don't believe Clay is his preferred surface. Uh, I think this is a situation where. Edmund might find it very tough to hold uh, with the inform Mueller. Yeah, live covers, live minus games could be interesting here too. Um, look at look at the the Madrid match is actually what I, I was going to say this before I looked up his last results, but the Madrid match is a pretty pretty clear indication of what Mueller can do to him even more than team did because the first set could be a seven five, right? Like Edmund could be ripping his forehand, which can hit through any surface. He's still coming back. He was he was a very, very good player at one point, but he's been awful since returning with a protected ranking. And Mueller is just a grinder. He's informed through qualities after having some pretty bad losses since the Marrakesh uh, finals run. Yeah, I, I kind of like the minus games here. I took minus four and a half with Huesler and Altitude, which kind of favored or helped Edmund a bit more. So at sea level against a grinder who can extend rallies and fatigue him and coax the errors... I don't see how I can not like the four and a half here. All right. Well, we've said it all. We'll be back soon. You can find John at Jared Tweets Tennis at Tibbs Tennis. You can find Derek at Forever's Nagal. You can find us at MP9 Tennis. Please follow us on all podcast platforms. Until next time, see you on the court.